Today's episode is a scary one and violent in places. If you listen to this podcast with kids and you want them to sleep tonight, you might want to skip this week. I put more details on mythpodcast.com. This week on the Myths and Legends podcast, it's a Halloween episode where I'll be talking about different urban legends. The stories are weird and terrifying, and just get ready to not feel safe anywhere. The creature this week is a creepy one from Japanese urban legends, and yeah, she's a murderer, but that doesn't mean she can't be polite about it. This is the Myths and Legends podcast, episode 47, In the Dark. This is a podcast where I tell stories from folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories you might not have heard, but really should. When I started this podcast, I did not think I'd do an episode like this. Urban legends, while scary, seemed to just have one note, and the ones I was familiar with all just seemed to be hyper-violent cautionary tales. Also, I'm not a huge fan of horror or scary stories. I've done precisely two and a half scary episodes on this podcast. As I got more acquainted with myths and legends to a degree that I never thought I would be, I started to notice something. The parts of us that led people to believe that a hydra lurked in the swamp, that a viking might be able to live for 300 years, or that a cat might be stealing their butter, hashtag blame it on the butter cat. Those parts of us, they're still active today, with what are called urban legends. And when I say urban legends, they're not necessarily set in a city. It should be seen as sort of just a modern, kind of active version of folklore. And today's going to be a little different. I'm going to go over a wide range of tales and talk about a few that I really like and offer my unqualified opinion on legends and misinformation. Mike blinked awake. His mouth was dry and he had to go to the bathroom. He had fallen asleep on the couch. Again. He cocked his head at the TV. It was playing some sitcom from the early 90s. And he looked at his phone. It was 3 a.m. He lay back down and tried to will himself back to sleep. But he really had to go to the bathroom. Besides, the light from the phone had already hit his eyes and he had read somewhere that that killed melatonin production or something. Mike sighed and he figured he better just try to go to sleep in his bed. He sat up on the couch and looked out at the sliding glass door. It was a quiet, cold night in late January. There was about a foot of snow on the patio, and the pale light from the crescent moon shined through the gnarled, leafless branches of the trees, just beyond his property, and bounced along the snow, giving the night an eerie glow. Mike rubbed his eyes and groaned. He always had a hard time getting back to sleep after waking up on the couch. He sighed and made to stand up, but when he saw the back door, He froze and gasped in shock. Outside the door was a man. Mike recoiled in horror. The man was barely illuminated by the light coming from inside. And he had been watching Mike. He was gaunt and wrinkled. He had a twisted, mad smile and a hungry look in his eyes. And he was looking at Mike. Mike was looking right at him, but the man kept walking through the snow toward the door. Then, the stranger slipped his hand inside his coat and pulled out a long knife. He licked his lips and kept walking. That's when Mike saw it. 
he had left the back door unlocked. Mike screamed. He didn't have time to lock the door before the man got to it. He snatched up his nearly dead phone and scrambled to the bathroom, which in Mike's tiny apartment was the closest room and just a few steps away. Mike made it to the bathroom, slammed the door behind him, and locked it. He called 911. It was during the call that Mike heard the glass door slide open. He braced himself on the toilet and put his feet on the door. He had seen horror movies. He knew how these things happened. That psychopath was going to hack through the door, Shining style. Mike just had to pray the police came in time. The first few minutes were harrowing, and Mike stayed on the phone with the dispatcher. Fifteen minutes later, he heard the sound of police at the door, and he hadn't heard anything else from his knife-wielding houseguest. His one-bedroom townhouse was tiny, and so the front door was only a few steps away. Mike grabbed the only weapon he could see, a toilet brush that wasn't used nearly as much as it should have been, took a deep breath, and opened the door. The glow from the TV illuminated wet, muddy footprints all over the mostly white carpet. The sliding door was left open, and the frigid wind was already starting to toss the snow over the threshold. Not wanting to look around him, Mike bounded to the front door. He threw it open and saw himself staring into the flashlights of the two police. They walked in with him, and they helped him search each room. They almost didn't believe him until they saw the footprints in the open door. They looked out on the snow on the patio, and they could see footprints coming from the forest. They closed the door, turned all the lights on, and did another more thorough search. They checked the crawl space, Mike's portion of the attic, everything. They simply couldn't find the knife-wielding stranger. That's when one of the officers noticed something. She was looking at the footsteps. Then she put her hand over her mouth and stood up. She looked at the sliding glass door, then looked at Mike, her mouth agape. She took a deep breath, and then she explained it. She told him that the footsteps, they were going the wrong way. The man hadn't been approaching the sliding glass door from the outside. Mike had just seen the man's reflection in the window. The man was already in the house, and he was already right behind Mike with a knife out when Mike screamed and ran into the bathroom. The man, illuminated by the TV and reflected in the window, only gave the appearance of approaching from the outside. And the sliding glass door opening wasn't the stranger entering the house, but leaving. The police followed the footsteps back to the front window, one that had been quietly forced open while Mike slept. Maybe that's what Mike heard to wake him up, they didn't know. Mike filed a report, but they didn't have much to go on. And the two police officers followed the tracks in the snow to a nearby road that had recently been plowed. The man had completely disappeared. The police left Mike, telling him that he might want to get an alarm, and if he has any more problems, to give them a call, but there was really nothing more they could do tonight. Mike shut the door, and inadvertently followed the muddy footprints to the sliding glass door. It was locked now, and right before Mike slid the blinds over, he took one last look out into the moonlit tree line, and tried not to think of the eyes and the eerie smiling face that he had seen watching him from the darkness. We'll talk more about urban legends in general a bit later, and because there are elements that I don't want to ruin by dissecting. Suffice to say, growing up in the Midwest, this story hits a nerve for me. Growing up, my parents had a large back window that looked out into the woods, and I remember sitting there, 
looking off into the darkness of the forest, wondering what might be looking back. I can't imagine the terror, thinking that the danger at the outside was already inside the house, and even worse, right behind me. The idea of not being safe in your own home is a chilling one, and it made me think of another urban legend that you've probably heard of. I'll talk about it quickly before moving on. It's about a young woman who lived alone and who only had a small dog for company. She was asleep one night and heard something, or she thought she did. You know when you're sort of in a twilight sleep, and you are so sure you heard a sound, but then you wake up to find your house completely normal? It was like that. She snapped awake and sat up. The room was completely dark. She had blackout curtains, and that's the only way she could sleep. And she reached around for her little dog. If there was something wrong, the dog would have awoken. She reached to his normal spot, and he licked her. The sound had just been in her head. There wasn't any noise. She fell back asleep. She woke late the next morning. Her dog didn't wake her up like he normally did. She found her phone dead. She reached for her dog and kept reaching. And then she felt his cold fur. She opened her eyes and she screamed. Her dog had been killed. And next to the body was a note. One that read, humans can lick too. Now, you've probably heard that one. I've heard it many times. But when I sat down and wrote it out, it occurred to me that the obvious psychopath who did this, it wasn't his first time in her home. No home intruder immediately rushes to lick a sleeping person's hand. He, or she, had been there before, and had been watching the woman in her nightly ritual for days, or weeks, from the darkness of her bedroom. That is almost way more scary than his weird little endgame of licking her hands, as ridiculously tragic as a dog death is. I'm going to move from home to car, another fun spot for urban legends. I'm not gonna spend too much time on these though, because these are the ones I know you've heard. A woman was leaving late for work, really late, so late that she was the last car in the parking garage. She was driving on the highway home when a large 18-wheeler truck, speeding in the night, came up behind her. It started flashing its high beams, and the woman got over to let him pass, but the 18-wheeler didn't pass. It changed lanes too, and stayed behind her. It kept flashing its high beams, and blasting its air horn, she tried speeding up to get away from it, but it sped up too. She knew it was trying to kill her when it began ramming her bumper. She got off at her exit and saw that the streetlights were blinking yellow and the gas stations were closed. Still, the truck followed her as fast as it could. Finally, she pulled up to her house, slammed the car into park, and ran to her door, just as the truck got there to block her in. She was fumbling with her keys when she saw the trucker get out. He was a large, bearded man, eyes wide and red from hours on the road, and he was angry. He grabbed a bat from the passenger seat and rushed from his truck, but he didn't come after her. He went to her car, opened the back driver's side door, and almost simultaneously, the back passenger side door opened, and a man fled from it, dropping his hatchet. The woman had already called 911, and when the police arrived, the trucker explained that when he was driving behind the woman on the highway, he saw a stranger from the back seat raise a knife, and he flashed his high beams to get her attention. When that stopped working, he started honking. When that stopped working, he started ramming. They never found the uninvited passenger. I have to say, before I get all snarky with this one, that this story led to me checking the back seat of my car at night since I started driving. I don't remember how recently I've done it, but I'll probably resume it after this episode. Okay. One gripe, and I'm sure you care, it does not make sense to me that the would-be murderer would want to kill the driver when the car is going 80 miles per hour on the highway. Even if the would-be murderer manages to pull it off, best case scenario, 
he will have a car out of control with a body blocking the steering wheel and brakes. One slightly more believable scenario is one where there wasn't a truck, but a woman stopping for gas on her way home. A sketchy man behind the counter was eyeing her in the car, and then he demanded that she come in because her credit card declined. When she got inside, he locked the door behind her, and he called the police. He had seen the man crouching in the back seat. Speaking of back seats, this brings me to the last car one, the popular hook hand. It's set in the 50s, so in the back seat, Harold and Sue were making out in their secluded spot. A bulletin came on the radio saying a dangerous mental patient had just escaped from an institution. He had only one identifying characteristic, but it was very notable. He had a hook hand, because apparently they let violent patients at psychiatric hospitals keep their sharp hook hands. The music and the making out continued, and the successive bulletins came on the radio saying that the dangerous patient was in such and such area, the pair was in such and such area, and Harold, ever the prudent gentleman, shut off the radio. Sue began to worry when they started to hear scraping at one of the doors, and eventually she became so distracted by it that they stopped. They raised the seat up, and the pair drove off. By the time they found another spot, it was basically curfew, so they just had to drive home. Harold was a gentleman, and so he got her door, except that he just stood there. Then he vomited. Sue opened the door herself, but it scraped as she did. She looked down when she got outside and saw a hook stuck in the door handle with the bloody stump that it had torn from the violent, escaped mental patient. I mean, you knew that was coming, right? Teenagers and college kids are often the focus of urban legends. Maybe it's because urban legends can be cautionary tales, made to temper that impulsive, sensation-seeking drive inherent in the teen years. Maybe kids are just more vulnerable. Urban legends, to me, seem to have been carried over from centuries of parents warning their children of the dangers of the world in gruesome and violent ways, because the world was a much more dangerous place back then, and the way to keep them from following that person on the road, or wandering into that house in the forest, or getting into a tickle fight with a hairy, menacing stranger, was to get that warning to stick in the most salient way possible, and that oftentimes involved violence and mutilation. For evidence, look at all the creatures of the week, and most fairy tales. The last main story today will be one that looks at a topic that is way, way too relevant for October 2016. Katie shut the door and froze. There was no noise on the other side. The baby was finally asleep. Well, he might not be asleep, but at least he had stopped crying. It was late, and she just wanted to collapse on the couch before the parents got home. There were three kids, and they were all under 10. The parents were out on a date night or something. Katie didn't care. They were weird. They lived in this mansion, one with more rooms than any family would ever need. Not only that, but they told her not to go in any of them, except for like a TV room in the basement. It's not like Katie would have anyway, but it was just weird that they felt like they had to say something. Maybe they were worried about people stealing from them. Maybe they were hiding something. Katie still didn't care. She went to the one room that she was allowed in and turned the lights on. And it was super nice. There was a TV that seemed bigger than the wall, if that's possible, a pool table, a pinball machine, a bar. It was locked. She plopped down on the couch, turned on the TV, and flipped through the 500 channels, precisely 490 more than she got at home. Katie watched TV, texted, and tried to keep everything quiet so the baby would stay asleep and not wake the whole house. She got up to go to the bathroom, near the back of the room. She flipped on the lights, opened the door, and screamed. 
As soon as she did, she kicked herself, paused for a moment, and listened. From the crackle of the baby monitor on the table, she heard the 10-month-old cry. She looked at what made her scream and laughed. It was so tacky. It was a life-size clown statue in a basement bathroom that was tastefully decorated in a vintage Daffy Duck theme. Yeah, this family was weird, and suddenly she was very glad that she wasn't allowed to look in the rest of the rooms. She flipped off the light and picked up the monitor, and that was when her phone buzzed. It was the dad. She silenced the monitor so he wouldn't hear the infant screaming. It was the check-in. Around bedtime, some parents would call to make sure the kids went down all right. She would answer his questions and then go give the baby a little more formula. The dad was nice. He was in a restaurant or someplace loud, and he asked the usual questions. Yes, they've been good, she said. Everyone went to bed all right. They ate their dinner. She told them that they could stay as late as they needed. He said, great. He asked what was wrong, though. She seemed worked up. She just laughed. It, it was nothing. It was just that clown statue in the downstairs bathroom. Katie didn't know how attached to the clown statue they were. She didn't want to offend them. She just told them that it was startling. She didn't like clowns. The father paused for a long moment and then said, Katie, we don't have a clown statue in the bathroom. Katie said, no, no, not in the upstairs bathroom. It's in the basement bathroom. You know, the one with the TV, the pool table, the locked bar. I mean, not that I checked, but Katie, Katie, the dad interrupted. We don't have a clown statue in any bathroom. Is this a joke? Katie straightened up on the couch and turned around. Looking at the door, she left ajar, opening slightly to the dark bathroom. She didn't respond. Katie, Katie, something's not right, the dad said. I'm worried that there might be someone in the house. Call 911 and get the kids up and go to the neighbors. Katie? Yeah, yeah, she said, barely able to take her eyes off the dark bathroom. Katie, hang up and call the police. When you get to the neighbors, call me back to let me know you're safe. Katie took a deep breath and said, okay, and hung up the phone. She was able to tear her eyes away from the bathroom, and she leapt to her feet, only to come face to face with the clown. It had snuck out of the bathroom and walked over silently, and now it was smiling a sinister smile. The dad didn't wait, and he called 911 too. They said they would send someone right over. He and the mom left the restaurant, and they sped home as fast as they could. Nearly 20 minutes in Saturday night traffic. When they got home, the police car was outside their house, with the lights flashing. The parents' car skidded to a stop, and they jumped out to talk to the police. The police were unsure what was going on. They had only received a panic message about a clown, and a babysitter, and kids... The back door was unlocked and they had gone through most of the house and had only woken up three kids. No clown, no babysitter. The parents explained in a panic what had happened, that the babysitter was supposed to be there. They checked with the neighbors and no one had seen her. It was only then that they saw someone limping from the forest behind the house. It was Katie. The police rushed to her and they learned that the clown had tried to take her. But she fought and when he had heard the sirens, he became panicked and threw her down disappearing into the forest. Katie had limped out, bruised and terrified, but okay. The parents moved their family out and into a hotel the next day, as they pieced everything together. They had been burning through groceries faster than normal over the past few weeks, and then they thought back to every creak they had heard, somewhere off in the darkness, to every time someone alone in a room felt like another family member was at the back of the room, 
watching them, but they turned around and found the room empty. Then, then the father remembered the bad dreams that the four-year-old had been having over the past few nights about a clown in his room at night watching him sleep. The man, dressed as a clown, had been living in their house for who knows how long, and they had no idea that someone was watching them all that time from the darkness. The father shuddered, and they put the house up for sale. They never went back. And as for the clown, he was never seen again. So this is a twist on the classic, quote-unquote, it's coming from inside the house tale, where the babysitter is getting crank called, and it turns out the caller is inside the house, and also a murderer. That particular story gets difficult in the age of cell phones, and we've all heard that one. You've probably heard this one too, and there are a couple different endings. Most of them have everyone evacuating safely, but there are some that end in the babysitter and the children dead. There are as many different versions as there are stories, it seems. People listening to this episode years from now, or even months from now, might be surprised that there's a current clown attack panic going on in the United States. I mean, hopefully this is just a flash in the pan for clown attacks, or rampant fear of clown attacks, and that they don't continue. Anyway, because of the current super weird panic, there are a lot of articles out there on clowns and why they scare us. Even though because they're clowns is totally reason enough, there are a lot of different explanations. There are years and years of books and movies and TV shows that portray evil clowns, and I found some more interesting reasons of maybe clowns fall somewhere in the uncanny valley, that valley between the representation of a human and an actual human, where the image is just repulsive for us. I linked an explanation to this in the show notes. I saw another theory that a lot of time kids are exposed to clowns at a time when they're afraid of strangers, and a clown is an extreme sort of stranger. It's unrecognizable and it's just really different. So that can maybe explain this intense fear a lot of people have of clowns. But, you know, I think anything lurking in my house without my knowledge would be scary enough without any explanation, except Batman. Batman just wants to keep you safe. Also, Batman isn't a fan of murderous clowns either. The clown story is a profoundly debunked one, but it appears to pop up every few years on hoax websites and some news sites with a picture of a sketchy looking guy and a creepy clown. But this does relate to something in the real world that I read recently or semi-recently. In Tokyo, in 2008, a man reported a robbery. Food was going missing from his home, and this had been going on for some time, so he set up cameras to see what was happening. He captured images of an elderly woman going through his house and stealing food. The issue? He had a camera on the door, and he didn't see her leave. He called the police, and they searched every inch of the house. The last place they looked was a thin cupboard designed to store bedding and mattresses. They slid it open, and found the woman curled up on a thin futon mattress, trying to be as quiet as possible. They learned that she was a homeless woman who had been living, secretly, in the man's house for a year. She learned of his work schedule, and during the day, she would shower and use the toilet, and at night she would return to her cupboard and sleep. She snuck in one day when the man forgot to lock the front door. She didn't steal anything other than the food to stay alive, and the police reported her looking clean and neat. The 58-year-old woman was charged with trespassing, the home is a place where you're supposed to feel safe, and I feel like we're okay, in some sense, with monsters coming from places we expect, like the dark forests or the ominous castles. It's much more unnerving when the monsters aren't creatures, but people, and they aren't out there, but in the room behind you. It plays on that primal, irrational fear of dark places. And the creepiest thing about modern urban legends is that they are technically possible. They are ridiculous, of course, 
But if you think something like what happened in the stories today is impossible, well, when was the last time you checked your cupboards? It seems like the legends of the past relied on lack of information. There really could be a super awesome saint who walks away from explosions after killing three dragons with his bear friends, because who are you to say there's not? You might not have gone five miles from your village in your whole life. The darkness of the forest can hold anything. There's a difference in today's legends, and I'm not just talking about urban legends, but kind of about misinformation in general. Before the internet, if you saw something in print from a reliable source, you could be reasonably assured it was true. Now, anyone can make a site, and if the first 17 results on Google say something's true, well, it gets a bit more difficult to parse out truth from fiction. The world, now, is kind of like an echo chamber, where things get repeated enough that they can kind of seem true. I couldn't find reliable stats, but your chance of being attacked by a clown in the street is likely incredibly small, like almost non-existent. But when social media is blowing up with news of clown attacks, it's on news sites, you hear it on NPR, it was actually mentioned this morning, and Jimmy Fallon's joking about it on The Tonight Show, well, it kind of makes you want to stay inside. In today's world, it seems like oftentimes, it's not the truest statement that wins out, but the loudest and most repeated. That's it for the Urban Legends episode. Reading the stories for this week was so stressful, and I'm excited to get back to the Middle Ages, where, yeah, people were terrible to each other, but at least they weren't so creepy about it. Unless they were Korean fox demons, then all bets are off. Next week, it's a Red, White, and Blue episode, where I'm going to be telling the original stories of Little Red Riding Hood, Snow White, and Bluebeard. These are considered to be children's stories, but the original fairy tales are actually way more violent and disturbing than anything I said today. I want to say thank you to Faceless Old Woman, which, totally not a creepy name for this episode, C. Dishy, Ewokasaurus, Nerd45454, Breadboy Cheddarmaker, Guitar Erratic, Englishman75, Johnny D204, Todd F727227, Texas Country Music, Rogue Exo, and Bucci Goo for the reviews on iTunes. Thank you all so much, and it's great to hear from you. And thanks for taking the time to review the show. If you'd like to leave a review, iTunes is the best place, and you can find the show there or on the iOS podcast app at itunes.mythpodcast.com. There's also a membership thing on the site. For less than the price of a dog wig, you can get extra episodes, source pack ebooks, and ad free versions of the show that won't make your dog look fabulous and make you look absolutely insane. For more information on the membership, check out support.mythpodcast.com. The creature this week is the Kuchisakeona from Japanese urban legends, and it literally means the slit mouthed woman, and she is exactly what she sounds like. She is an angry ghost with her mouth cut from ear to ear. And yeah, like the Joker from The Dark Knight, except that it didn't heal. She walks the streets at night, wearing a surgical mask to hide her face. And she wants to talk to you. She'll come up to someone and ask if he or she thinks the slit mouth woman is pretty. She supposedly looks pretty aside from the horrific cuts. So you might be tempted to say yes. Do not say yes. If you say yes, she will tear off the mask, revealing her face. And ask you, how about now? Am I still pretty? If you say something along the lines of, oh my gosh, no, but that's besides the point, seriously, we need to get you to a hospital, congratulations, because you just gave the answer that leads to you being cut in half by a ghost in the middle of the night with a pair of scissors. If you are rightfully extremely intimidated by this person and just say yes, then she'll do you a favor in her mind. If you think she's so pretty, then she'll make you look just like her. She'll cut you ear to ear and give you a nasty smile. You might think it's a good idea to just say no to the initial question, 
when she's still wearing the surgical mask. Well, then she'll just be so offended that she'll kill you right then and there, again with the scissors. There have been people who escaped from her alive, and without the incessant need to ask others if they want to know how they got these scars. One way is to give her an ambiguous answer. Just tell her she's so-so, average, or meh. If pressed further, after she reveals her face, just keep it going, giving non-committal answers. She'll be so confused, and she'll just walk away. Another way to confuse her is to turn the question back on her, saying just, no, wait, me first. Do you think I'm pretty? Then I'll answer your question. Seeing as that's a super awkward question to ask a stranger on the road at night, she'll think about her answer long enough for you to run away. Still another answer is to say that you're really sorry. You love to stay and chat, but you have a prior appointment. So sorry, you have to go. She might be a vicious murderer, but she's not impolite. Far be it from her to keep you from your appointment. She'll let you go and with an apology to boot. For what might be a Myths and Legends record of four different ways to escape a creature of the week, you can just throw money or hard candy at her. She'll bend down to pick them up because, hey, free money or candy, and you can use this opportunity to run away. If you needed an extra reason to carry candy with you, you might just need to throw it at strange ghosts in the middle of the street at night. Just don't get terrified and start throwing your candy at anyone, though, because then I'll have to do a segment on you, the shrieking stranger who throws hard candy and coins at people in the middle of the night. That's it for this week. The theme song is by the band Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. Other music is by Pinnington Bear and Blue Dot Sessions, and links to still more music are in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time. Hold up. 